0: Hey, welcome to On the Brink, a fresh lens to take you and your business to new heights. I'm Andy Simon. I'm your host and your guide. And as you know, my job is to help get you off the brink. And I must tell you, I have, I have listeners who come from across the globe who say to me, you have no idea how that little kernel of an idea transformed my life. It's interesting because sharing all of this wonderful ideas, particularly coming out of the pandemic, Maybe we're not out of it yet, but coming through a changing time, and I never want to waste a crisis, it's important for us to realize that there are new ideas out there that can help us, and why not learn more about them? Who knows how they can help you? So I have the honor today of bringing to you Rebecca, Becky, Morrison, and Becky has a new book out. She'll tell you all about how to untangle happiness and find it. But I also want to tell you a little bit about her own bio, her background, because she didn't jump off the ship and say, here I am, I'm going to help you with happiness. She went through a journey that reflects so much of what I'm finding with my coaching, my executive coaching of women reaching a place where they're successful and it's not enough. Men too, they reach a place in their careers and they wonder, isn't there anything more? So we're going to talk today about finding purpose, finding happiness, finding what's missing, that little link that doesn't seem right. A little bit more about Becky. Rebecca Morrison is a mom. I like what she says there. A mom, a wife, a lawyer turned happiness coach. A graduate of Wellesley College and Georgetown Law. She also received an executive coaching certification from UC Berkeley. She worked in finance and big law for over 20 years. And she reflects so many of my clients who have been very successful. And then they say there's more to it she spends her days helping clients uncover their own happiness recipe the book is called the happiness recipe and by applying the principles of priority aligned living now having shared these tools with people informally informally she's thrilled to share them with you all as part of the book but it's today's podcast becky thank you for coming along it's been so much fun meeting you
1: Thank you, Andy. I'm really excited to be here and talk about, obviously, one of my favorite topics with you and your listeners.
0: Well, I think the first thing we're going to do is who is Becky Morrison? What's your journey? Your story is a wonderful one, but it also reflects an enormous population of folks out there who are following very much the same footsteps and wondering, really, what is this all about? And I can't tell you how many attorneys I've met at gatherings over the last several years, women in particular, who say, well, I'm pretty successful, but not quite sure this is what I want to do for the rest of my career. How about yourself? What's your story?
1: So it's interesting because you described that moment of like, I'm pretty successful, but what else? Right. And I think I've gone through that experience at least three times in my career, maybe four. Um, But the first one was that I that I think of often and that I sort of describe as the kicking off point for this journey happened back when I was a relatively new litigator. I was about four years into a job at a big law firm on partnership track, married, had a toddler at the time. And um, found myself one evening on the floor of the bathroom with my toddler in the tub and the cordless phone clipped to the back of my pants and the toilet seat cover closed and the notebook on the toilet seat cover and the papers all around me. And I was doing two things. I was bathing my toddler and I was working with an expert on a conference call to get them ready for their upcoming testimony. And I had two thoughts in super quick succession in that moment. The first thought was, who says you can't have it all? Like, here I am. I'm killing it. (laughs) And the second thought was, and I'm exhausted and this is unsustainable. And more importantly than all of that, I'm not sure this is really enough. This is really making me happy that I really want to be an attorney, Yes. which, I mean, (laughs) when you've gone into six figures of debt to get through law school, it's like, wait wait a minute, you don't want to what? Like the other half (laughs) of me is like, you're making good money. You're on the right track. There's going to be a payoff. It'll be okay. So that was the first moment like that, that I... Had in my career, and it led me on this path of incrementally increasing my happiness each time I made a change, and then continuing to have that kind of conversation with myself um, about what else is there? You know, what am I missing? And I added, I mean, so I'm, I'm from that point, I made a shift to law firm administration. Um, that was a really positive shift because it gave me more time freedom. I still got to use my legal brain and my legal education. It was kind of a hybrid attorney um, attorney administrator role. And then again, I reached a moment after about a decade doing that of like, okay, well, this is fun, but now what? What's next? Where's more? And um, at that point, was faced with the choice of do I double down on this career in legal technology that I've developed and really become a well known expert in that space, which I felt I could do, right? I had the ability to do. Or do I do something else entirely? And what I realized is I'm not doubling down again, done this before on something that I'm not sure is for me. And so I took really kind of another left turn, left the legal space entirely, went into um, more entrepreneurial finance space to be a COO because people in process have always been at the heart of my work, Um, was there, was, had a lot of fun for the first two years because it was new environment. It was fun to have impact. It was fun not to be part of a big organization. And then again, sort of reached a point where they weren't growing the way that we anticipated. And the CEO, the CEO and I agreed that it was not right for me to stick around long term, which I didn't get laid off and I didn't get fired. But the practical impact was the same. I still had to find a new job, right? Right. And so again, did this exercise of, well, what can I do? And let me think about all the jobs I'm qualified for. Well, I'm a lawyer who's managed 100 plus, 200 plus attorneys and staff at various times in my career. I've got a strong process background. I've got a management background. I still have my bar license. Like, let me apply for all the jobs until, again, had this thought of, wait a minute, wait a minute. What do I want to do? What am I really here for? What is my purpose? Not just in life generally, but more specifically in this season of my life, what is my purpose? And I hired a coach. And that coach facilitated for me a really wide-ranging exploration of all the possibilities. And then I ended up at UC Berkeley to get my coaching certification. That is
0: pretty cool. It's interesting listening to you. Uh, a story, a case story. I have a wonderful client. And she, a successful partner in an accounting firm, a CPA, MBA, raised three kids alone, single mom, successful. Um, and, and her shrink fired her. And um, and she said, no, you've got to go do something. Um, you can't keep talking about how unhappy you are. And so we went through our process, and I'm anxious for you to share yours. But usually it's in the story. You're managing your mind. Your mind does exactly what it thinks you want it to do. As you're talking, I'm thinking about her experience and yours. I could stay in that zone. Um, if you were a guy, my hunch is you might have actually stayed in that zone because you were moving up the corporate ladder, making more money. And it was all in that category of how you will be successful. But the women I work with have a different mindset. They are asking some profound questions about what's the meaning? What's the purpose? We talk a lot about Gen Z's asking that, and both men and women. And, and we're finding that the pandemic has been a catalytic moment. For a huge population, you can talk about the Great Resignation, whether it's of boomers or if it's youngsters, everybody's asking, what is it about work? What is work anyhow? What should we be doing? So yep. what happened? You got your coaching. Did you become a coach and, and then begin to build your business or
1: help us? So... I show up at UC Berkeley for a 10 day intensive back when we were still doing 10 day intensives in person. And um, the first day, one of the first exercises that they take you through, they call it the soul portrait. And you stand up in front of a room. And at this point, all you've done with your cohort peers is exchange first names. That's it. And so you don't really know each other. And they ask you some really um, big coaching questions. And one of the questions they asked me was, What is your purpose? And I answered, to spread joy. And then I looked around like, who the heck said that? Because that was not something that I had ever consciously expressed before.
0: (laughs) I love the line though. That is a purpose statement, isn't it?
1: Oh, it sure is. And so then I said, well, that's interesting. I'm not sure what I'm gonna do with that. Let me go through this experience. My thought had been with coaching actually to take back some executive and leadership coaching work into law firms because lawyers are not trained in law school to be either leaders or managers, which means that some are and some aren't. And it depends on the firm and it depends on the structure that they've given you to develop those skills. And so I thought, hey, this could be fun because I really like that piece. I've seen firsthand how it can actually um, influence not just the success of the individual, but the success of the firm or the client engagement to have people who aren't good leaders and managers there. And I shouldn't say good, actually. I should just say effective. It's not about good and bad. It's about do we have the skills? And that was my intention. So I left Berkeley and had a bunch of certification hours that I needed to do. And so I engaged in kind of a wide-ranging exploration of coaching different people at different places, different careers, different backgrounds, just to see what I might like. And I found a thread. And the thread was the one you've described, which is I've done a lot. I've checked a lot of boxes but something is missing. And I was like, this is an interesting thread because I'm familiar with this thread. You'll recall, I've experienced this thread personally uh, throughout the course of my life. And and that led me to um, really thinking that that's the space I wanted to be playing in, but I wasn't sure how that was going to look. And I had an intention in March of, or well, February of 2020, I got my certification and thought, OK, cool. So now I'm going to really dial into this niche of trying to help people figure this stuff out. How will I do that? Well, I'm going to go and do a bunch of networking conversations. And then I'm going to try and get some people to let me come in and do some lunch and learns so that I can kind of develop by experimentation, because that's how I roll, my framework, my, my my approach, see what works, what doesn't, test out what I'm thinking. Yeah. Then March happened. And there was no in-person <laughs> anything. And there was no virtual anything for a period of time because people were really in survival mode as they needed to be. Yes. And so I decided to join a writer's retreat instead, thinking that that would give me some structure to play with some content. And thus my book was born. I did not intend to write a book. I showed up to the first meeting of that writer's retreat group, in fact, and said, I'm here. I'm here to support you. If you're writing a book, that's awesome. I just want some structure for writing and creating content. I will not be writing a book.
0: (laughs) Now this was virtual or in-person? Virtual. Virtual. Virtual.
1: And um, out of my small pod of five writing peers, we still meet actually to this day. They're delightful, but I'm the first person to take the book to market. So (laughs) (laughs) famous last words, I'm not writing a book, but here we are.
0: Uh, Did you self-publish that book or find it? I sure did. I sure did. did.
1: And I did that intentionally because I didn't want to wait. It was very clear to me that the tools in this book were going to be helpful to people at the time that we're living in now. Because you said it, this, this um, experience of living through what we've lived through over the past two-ish years, for a lot of people, has called the question. It has called the prioritization question. It's really a global area era of reprioritization, of really looking at what matters to us and how we want to live. Um, more in alignment with that?
0: Well, I think that it's very exciting. These, I happen to be, if you looked at my archetype, I'm an explorer and I've always been on the margins of what was stable and certain. And I've always been an executive in organizations that were changing. And, you Mm -hmm. know, I love change. When I launched my company, it was as a corporate anthropologist to help companies change. And people hated me and loved me. They had to change. They didn't know how to change. And we needed to figure out how to change. But you are in your book and in your beautiful website and all the things that you're doing, transforming yourself and others at the same time. And I thought that this was a beautiful, story to share because the transformation we're going through means your story is changing. And as you're telling it, their story is. And the challenge for people is that we like stability and continuity and certainty. And for the last two and a half years, uh, we haven't had any of that. And consequently, humans get frail and very fragile when there's no stability. The ambiguity is as bad, as dangerous a place as we can be in. Happiness? Who knows where that comes from? What will it look like? So you help them reestablish something. Help me help them. How do you do it? What's your
1: process? So there's two tracks that I like to play with, and I like to play with them simultaneously. Not in the same exact second, but as we're working together, we're coming at it from both ends, if you will. And the the first end is is the piece that's in my book. It's how do we identify your top priorities for this season of your life, whatever that may be, And how do we start living more in alignment with that? And then how do we equip you to re-identify or re-evaluate or recalibrate when the season changes? Because it will. Uh, We've seen it happen recently. The other end is how do we, at the same time that we're thinking about this greater architecture problem, how do we live happy or as happily as possible in the day-to-day without changing any circumstances? Because the science on happiness tells us that our circumstances matter to our happiness, but not nearly as much as our daily behaviors and thoughts. You must be talking about Sonia's work, huh? I am talking (laughs) about our friend Sonia's work. And I think it's important to understand that there's kind of two ways or two important pieces, and that having positive emotional experiences, even in difficult circumstances, has really important neurological, like brain pathway and neurosystem benefits to us that equip us to do the bigger work of architecting our life. Yep.
0: Now, I can't say Sonia's last name. And uh, she has a wonderful uh, book on the power of happiness. And, yep. and I've also taken the Coursera Yale course on the science yes. of well-being. I'm sure yes. you have too. And it's taught us a lot about the science of this. About half of it could come from our birth and daily life and the situation we're in. But the other part is really in our own hands. So mm-hmm. I'm curious, how's your you developed? You mean you're two years into this business? I'm 20 years into mine. I love it. Um, talk about what you're discovering because when I say to people... Okay, half is is where you are, you know, you're married or you're not, you have family or you don't, whatever those particulars are, but the rest is in your hands. So what are the things that matter to find happiness and how do you actually do it? What are your thoughts?
1: So the first thing, and when we talk about sort of coming at it from that end, that like, how do we improve everyday happiness? It's not going to happen by accident. <laughs> it requires intentional action. Yes, and in order to take intentional action, to increase your happiness, you have to know what intentional action might bring more happiness. <laughs> it's true. Which I know sounds sort of obvious, except that a lot of people don't aren't there. No. And a lot of people look at it when I say, so one of the early exercises we'll do is something that I, I call finding your joy menu or finding your essential sources of joy. We will literally sit down and figure out what are the basic building blocks of your positive emotional experience as a human being because they're different for everybody. And when I ask people that, we ask it in a more casual way like what I feel happy when fill in the blank. And often people will come up with things like I feel happy when I'm on vacation, I feel happy when I'm with a loved one. I feel happy when I can wrestle with the you know my dog on the floor or when I'm with my dog or my dog makes me happy, whatever. That's great. But you can't always drop everything and go on vacation and you can't always drop every, everything and spend a whole day with a loved one doing things you love. So the question is, how do you make it bite-sized so that it can drop her into a day where it already feels full and overwhelming? Mm-hmm. So you take those things and you dig a little deeper. Well, what is it about vacation? Or what is it about your dog? Or what is it about your loved one or time with your loved one? And let's get it all the way down to something that is literally dropper-sized. So I'll give you an example. For me, one of the things that I love about vacation, we often go to warm climates for vacation and I love the sun on my face. Well, I don't have to leave Virginia. It's not very sunny right now. It's in the evening, but the sun was out today. I can go outside and put the sun on my face multiple times a day, anytime I want. And the key is when I do it with intention, with the intention to absorb the sun, to enjoy the experience, to savor the the warmth, then I've created a positive emotional experience for myself. Yep. And the more we do that, the more we broaden our abilities or capabilities in the moment, and the more we build our stores of resilience. And both of those things are critically important to weathering the tough stuff.
0: And now a word from our sponsors, Simon Associates Management Consultants. That's us. And we're here to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. Whether you are an organization that's stuck or stalled, or an individual in that organization who's looking to rethink their own life's journey, Simon Associates has designed programs and processes to help you do just that. Our first book, On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights, told the stories of seven clients who were stuck or stalled, and a little anthropology helped them see things through a fresh lens, reignite their growth, and soar again. My new book that came out in January 2021 is called Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. It's all about how 11 women, including myself, were able to see past the hurdles, the glass ceilings and the brick walls and become the best that they could be. They heard things like women aren't lawyers and women can't lead and women aren't in geosciences. And they said, of course we are. And they really pushed through and did it with such ease that they want other women to see what's possible. At the end of the book, I provide a bit of a how-to process for you. If you're on the brink of rethinking your own life's journey, it's time to pause, step back, and ask yourself, where am I going? What's my passion and my purpose? And am I there or can I get there? Send us your emails to info at and we'll get right back to you to see how we can help. On andysimon.com are some free chapters for both books, and you can also join our newsletter and our Facebook group, Rethink with Andy Simon. We are bringing together women to help other women do what they can't do by themselves very often to see what's possible and become the best that they can be. Come join us. And now back to our podcast. But I bet it's the onesies need twosies and threesies. And I'm sure you add besides going out to get sun on your face, which I agree with. And it's uh, 20 degrees here, so it's pretty cold. Um, it's hard to get that sun beyond the real that. warm feeling. It's, yeah, it's, a, it's an illusion more than anything. Yeah. Um, do you find that as you work with your folks, are there some patterns? I, I too know that everyone is unique, but there are always a pattern. Yep.
1: There are definitely patterns. There's patterns of. There's patterns of a couple things. There's patterns of the joy, like people, each individual can identify the patterns that they have, but then there's also patterns of the ways we block our joy. Like yes. there's patterns of the ways we sabotage that. Like I have a, a client who we were doing this exercise and look, I don't mean to imply that in coaching, you come to me and you just get a joy menu. That's just a starting point. And it's a starting point so that you can start intentionally injecting positive emotions into your day so that you have the skill set we need to do the hard stuff, the deep yes. work. But we were talking about this exercise because she was really at a point of of feeling pretty burnt out. And her dog was one of the things. And I was like, well... And I, you know, she's a, she's a, I'll say she's the dog, she's the dog parent with primary responsibility. And I was like, well, how often are you outside with your dog? She's like four or five times a day. Well, okay. Are you enjoying that time? No, I'm on the phone every single time. Right. So it's like, we have these things, but we, we block our access to them because we're so overwhelmed. And so there's kind of two pieces of like, and then the, I'm sorry, I'm all over the place, but I'm getting all these insights or thoughts. Um, the last pattern that I think is important is also the pattern of our nervous system. Yes. You said something really important earlier, and it's that we are in a place where nothing is certain and yes. uncertainty is, does not feel good. And it particularly doesn't feel good for our nervous system who has one as one of their primary job descriptions to keep us safe and keeping yes. keeping a being safe in uncertainty, if you think of it in, ter- in very primal terms, is one of the hardest jobs that's out there. Right. And so our nervous system is like, whoa, 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 this is not this is not okay. Right. Um, And so also another pattern that can be really important is being able to realize when your nervous system is, is being triggered or dysregulated so that you can take steps to work with the, that nervous system to put it back into a more regulated state so that you have more brain power, more executive function to then do all of this other work, to do the untangling, to do the unwinding.
0: Now I want to get to the uh, untangling and the unwinding uh-huh. because there's wonderful work. I've been reading um, Daniel Pink's book Drive again, uh, and I'm using it for a leadership program. Um, but his his he builds from intrinsic um, and the tension between the intrinsic and the extrinsic and what motivates you um, to all the wonderful research that gets to purpose. And, and I love his threesome there. You need autonomy uh, and then you need mastery uh, and then you need purpose. And, and if that's what you need to be motivated to do well, it also is the same kind of things to feel happy. Mm-hmm. and are you, do you, as you, you have your two sides and I saw the daily side and the bigger purpose side, talk to me about the bigger purpose side. Cause that's not inconsequential. That's actually what it's all about.
1: That is what it's all about. And all this daily stuff that I do is actually, like I said, to equip you to do the purpose work. Cause that can be really big, deep, and a little bit jarring work if you haven't done it before. The one thing I will say that I think about purpose a little bit differently than other people is that I don't think about purpose as like a single North star to guide your life or a single sort of like I'm put on this earth to do only this. Right. I told you when I went to Berkeley, they asked me what my purpose was. And I said, to spread joy. I believe my purpose in this season of my life is to spread joy. And I believe that that could change and I'm open to it changing. And I now know, and I have the tools to recognize when the change might come. So all of that said, the purpose work that I do is really about identifying what is Mm -hmm. most important to you in this season of your life so that you can do more of that And less of the rest yes but it starts with getting to a place where you can even take stock of what's on your plate which if people are coming to me in the throes of overwhelm or burnout is very difficult to do initially without first doing this calming down on the other side that said once we've got that under control we can begin to dive in and say okay what's really taking your time, energy, and resources? What yeah. do we need to get rid of? What do you need more of? And, and if I could rewrite somehow the recipe for happiness that I wrote myself, it would, it would highlight the less of the rest as the most important. Yep.
0: It, it's, it's um, well, we use similar approaches. I have a, a bunch of tools that I adopted from what I did with organizations who are full of people to individuals. Are they that different? maybe, maybe not. But at the end of my book, Rethink Smashing the Myths of Women in Business, I have a how-to, my seven steps. And I turned that into an online course called Rethinking Your Journey with Andy Simon. And, and, and what's most interesting to me though, is that you need to take a look. One of the things we do is take a look at the last 12 months and write down 10 things that really gave you joy. Mm-hmm. It's hard for people. Uh I said, it's okay, dig deeper, ask somebody, you know, talk about it. And then 10 things that really gave you pain. That's Uh often easier, but Uh not pretty. And then we squeeze it down squeeze it down until we come to three or two or one of the most important values there. And then we go into a, a process much like yours. What are we going to do more of to emphasize the ones that give us pleasure? And less of the get away from the ones that give us pain. What are we going to start, stop, and and are sacred? It's not hard. And when I do it with a group of people, I'm always fascinated because they really know how to change the organization. They Mm -hmm. really do. Uh, Mm -hmm. Doing it, first we have to figure out what it is we're going to do, and then doing it for an individual. um, It's very interesting watching the eyes as they're thinking about the things that they don't want to do anymore. It's okay to say no. And the things that you want to do lots of, how are you going to do that? Nobody's stopping you. But until you have a plan, a personal plan for happiness, um, you can't take steps in any direction. And I find that sometimes it's simple. I thought that Sonia's book was so fascinating because it wasn't that it was that complicated. And I love the wonderful Yale course on the science of well-being. What makes you happy? Kindness. Gratitude, acts of giving, um, talking to people, exercise, a good night's sleep. Really? People mm-hmm. said to me, Yes, look at the research and that tells you that there's a little science behind this, not just Andy Simon saying so, and it's a it's a good time. So, in your book, what's in your book? Because I really want to go find your book. I just discovered your book. Tell me what is in the book.
1: So, the book is based on exactly what I've already said. That my premise is for the recipe for happiness, which is do more of what matters and less of the rest. But well, I've identified, good. yeah but I've identified sort of three things and you alluded to them that get in our get in our way of execution. The first is I call it the authenticity gap, but it's the knowing gap. Do you actually know? Do you have an awareness of what matters most to you and what you need to let go of? No. And are you willing to claim it, right? Yep. And then we we live in a doing world. So we go right from do you know to how do we? And, and so that's actually my third gap and I'm gonna come back to the middle, middle gap in a minute. But the third gap is I call it the physical energy gap. It's the doing gap. Are you actually living in alignment with that formula. and if not, how do how do you get there? How do you shift your behavior? How do you shift your habits, yes. habits, all of that. The middle gap is the is the um, believing gap, and it's the mindset gap. It's the yes. things that stop us from taking the knowing into the doing. Yep. And we often forget to spend a little time there to say what beliefs or feelings do I have today that might sabotage my ability to execute? Yes, let's address those proactively. Let's figure out how to get it over guilt, how to say no, how to stop what ifing. All the things, how to work with our nervous system, all of that lives in there. And so the book is actually a very, I wanted it to be, as you can tell, I think both you and I really enjoy learning and reading this stuff. And one of my challenges is always great. The theory is great. How do I execute? I want to do. What's the doing? Yes. So I wanted to leave people with what I wrote with a set of tools. And so every single chapter has at least one exercise that you can deploy to sort of move the needle on that topic, whether it's saying no or shedding guilt or incorporating celebration, which is one of the things I put in the activity, you know, in the physical energy gap, but it's all there. And so...
0: yeah. So, because I'm I'm enjoying listening to you, it's hard to find people who know what we do, who do it with joy. Um, but I also always tell my folks, listen, your mind does exactly what it thinks you want it to do. I like Marissa Peer's work and I like um, Martin Seligman's stuff on positivity, Mm -hmm. Um, but it is, I like a little bit of science into the story so that they can begin to understand that you have a story in your mind, your mindset, Mm -hmm. you can call it, but there's a story there and that's your illusion of reality and it's Mm -hmm. an illusion. And so however you feel, I feel sad. Nobody's making you feel sad. You allowing your mind to feel sad. Oh, yeah. And there are things you can do like gratitude diaries or gratitude and things that can change the chemistry in your brain, make the oxytocin soar. And next thing you know, you're smiling. Really? I said, yes. The second thing is that you live your habits and those habits are very efficient. Your brain uses 25% of your body's energy. You mm-hmm. want it to do the habits? Go for it. Learning something new takes energy and the mind undermines it. That amygdala hijacks it. So as you're going from your two points and that mindset in the middle, you got work on changing the story and telling it often until your mind begins to see, feel, and think it, believe it to be the new story. I'm glad you're shaking your head yes instead of no, because at the end of the day, you are what you are. And the the last thing is the mind goes to pleasure, even if it's painful, Mm -hmm. it's what's familiar. And unless you're going to make new things familiar, so that means you need practice. Mm -hmm. I'll put a plug in here. We have these wonderful 30 day challenges designed to help people practice um, self-care. And and it's fascinating to watch because without practice, nothing changes. It takes about 30 days for a new habit to develop. So some of the things you do to help them, because I think what you've got here is magical. It can really be transformative.
1: Yeah. No, and I think you've nailed it, right? And it's, it's like this. If I'm a right-handed person and I was told to start writing with my left hand, I could do it, but it's going to be it's going to be uncomfortable. I'm not going to like the way it looks. I'm not going to like the yes. way it feels. And unless my right hand is inaccessible because it's hurt or in a cast, I'm just going to put the pen back in the right hand because it yes. feels better. Yep. <laughs> Even if you told me, Becky, if you learn to write with your left hand, all these rewards await you. It's just uncomfortable, right? And so you're absolutely right that there is an element of training that has to exist. There's an element. I mean, the very first exercise in my book, I call it um, expect discomfort Uh because the quickest way to diffuse the power of discomfort is to anticipate it. Yep, when you are right. trying to resist the discomfort, when you are focused on the discomfort, when you are think, borrowing ahead for more discomfort, it becomes all that much more uncomfortable. But when you just expect, okay, this is going to feel funny, <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway, <laughs> that can be a powerful tool. And so I think it is just, you know, practice, acknowledging the discomfort and, and taking the different action, whether that's a thought pattern or an actual like habit that you're developing. Um, You know, habits are an interesting one because they play a really, as you highlighted, a really important role. And for many people who are very achievement driven, (laughs) they can be an absolute mind game because we have this goal or I'll speak for myself and I've experienced with many of my clients of like checking the boxes of our habits. And it's like, if I can do it quicker, I'll get to the end quicker, but Here's the spoiler. a Habit never ends. It That's only right. ends when you die. <laughs> so where's the rush, my friend? The goal uh, is to build a sustainable pattern of behavior when you're building yes. a habit. So how do you do that in a way that you can start and build to where you want to go?
0: You know, as I think about what we're discussing, I think about my grandkids and they are happy kids. And I give my kids, my daughters and their husbands, a lot of credit for it. Um, but it's also the surrounding world that they are in, the athletic games that they have, the horseback riding they're in. Horses are pretty good for happiness. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting to watch them growing with smiles on their face. Uh, but I also know that um, you nourish it and you nurture it and you teach them how to think happy. And don't think it just happens. You need all during their early years to form that mindset that says, I'm a happy person. My cup is half full or overflowing. And it's okay to be like that. And so, you know, parents think carefully about the impact your own stories have on your children uh, because you want them to have a story about they're a happy person. However, we define that. This is such Mm -hmm. fun. Becky, we're about ready to wrap up. You and I could talk a lot. We could. We may try it again. In six months, you can tell us how you're doing. Because this is, for you, a new venture that I hope does well. And I hope that our listeners think, huh, what can Becky do to help me? And how can her book help me as well? So tell us about where can they find the book and how can they get to know you?
1: So the book, actually, let me go in reverse order. The the best place to find me online is on my website, which is untanglehappiness.com. And you can get links to buy the book there. You can find me on social media there and you can learn more about the work that I do there. So I'll make it one-stop shopping.
0: Good. It's also a beautiful website done beautifully. And she looks beautiful there too. You want to say, oh, you're a happy woman. How do we do that? (laughs) Uh, Well, I think this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. So to all of our listeners across the globe, thank you for coming. It's always a pleasure to share great people with you like Becky Morrison. And part of my job is to help you get off the brink. And so today's On the Brink with Andy Simon has been all designed to help you to find that happiness. It's right there in front of you. If only you can see it. And that's a real interesting opportunity because there's a little bit of science that can help you understand that the the way forward is all around you. If only you can see it. Open your eyes, get a fresh lens and begin to think about what does make you happy. And do more of that and listen to what doesn't. It's not as sophisticated as you might think, but it does help sometimes to have a coach. We're both coaches and we both want you to turn lemons into lemonade or someone said limes into margaritas. Whatever makes you happy, it's okay. (laughs) Um, Our books are all on Amazon. Um, the happiness recipe is certainly on Amazon, Becky's book. Both of my books on the brink, Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights and Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. It's just a year old and it's been doing gangbuster stuff and turning lots of women to see what's possible. One of my favorite reviews when it first came out was a gentleman who said... I have a 13-year-old daughter. She's a minority. And I finally have a book I can give her to show her what she can be. That's Mm. the whole point of sharing our stories. So thanks for coming. Keep sharing stories. Bring me lots of good guests. I love sharing their stories. And when you bring them along, it's great fun. Goodbye, Becky. Have a great day. All of you, stay safe, stay healthy. Bye-bye now.